Hi, welcome to the Dreamcatchers. We are sisters and business partners, Marissa Klein K and Jamie Klein Stozer. We know a little something about dreaming big. In our day jobs, we run the fashion and media division of our family staffing firm in New York City, Choice Associates. We have built a brand around helping others and good energy. Known in our personal and professional worlds as light workers, igniters, and most of all believers, Jamie and I are not only dreamers, but we are doers, and we hope our energy is contagious. On this podcast, we will be chatting to each other and to some of our favorite dream catchers, the people who inspire us not only about career, but about making magic wherever they go. On What's the Matter, we will shine light on a hot and relevant topic that means something to us, and we are sure will mean something to all of you. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe now and follow us on social media at Dreamcatchers23 for updates and episodes. Good morning, everybody. We are live today. I am so excited for our first podcast of 2021. Welcome back to the Dreamcatchers. I am Jamie Stozer. My sister, Marissa, I see her on my bottom left. I don't know where you guys see her. Um, Good morning. Marissa wants to say good morning to everybody before we introduce our wonderful guest. I I just wanted to take a moment and thank anyone that's with us today watching. Um, I have had my eyes, soul, and head set on this conversation for probably, I don't know, two months plus 20 years. So, um, and we'll get into that in a few, but I'm honored and privileged to immediate emotion. Hello, 2021. <laughs> Here we go. Um, to have our friend Susan, not Stallone, but Stallone, um, <laughs> with us this morning. But in, in true form, we've all had a couple of rough days, although I'm not sure how to describe days anymore. I think that days are rough with pockets of joy. um, And I would like the next hour to be a pocket of joy. So in order to do that, I am going to do something that I do off screen time and time again, but I'm going to do it on screen for Jamie, Susan, myself, and anyone that's watching. We're going to do a little bit of a bubble exercise where we protect the energy in which we are working with today. So I'm going to ask if you're with me um, to close your eyes a minute and then we will hear Susan's beautiful voice and tell her story. But I'd like us all to be even and in the same space if we can. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Audience two, that means you. And take a couple of deep breaths which I forget to do so often. And just embrace the stillness for a minute. We're gonna breathe in, breathe out. And we're going to envision a bubble of protective energy coming out of one of our exhales. And we're almost blowing that bubble all the way around us. And in this moment, I'm going to include Jamie and Susan and anyone listening right now that needs a little extra love inside of my bubble, because that's how big I'm going to blow mine right now. And I'm going to pick a a fun color because I always do. 
Um, when I envision this exercise, I'm going to pick a sparkly gold because that's very me. You pick whatever color you like. I'm going to picture that sparkly gold going all the way around the three of us and anyone else that needs it over our heads, behind us, underneath us, wiggle your toes and feel that bubble beneath your toes of protective energy, positive, light filled, warm, healthy, healing energy. The only energy that's going to go in or out of this bubble is of good and higher energy of the best and highest form. And right before we seal our energy of good and high positive notes, we'll leave one little hole open and we're going to say something that says, excuse me, sounds something like this. So in our moment, we will release the energy that does not belong to us and we will send it to God with love and light. So any energy that does not belong to us within this bubble is released to God with love and light. And we'll seal up that magic sparkly gold door. Two more breaths, we can open our eyes, relax our shoulders, sit up straight, and greet our day. Good one, right, Susan? Wonderful. It is an honor and a privilege. 20 years to the day that we lost my father-in-law and my husband's best friend to um, mental illness and depression on January 19th, 2001. We are here um, with Susan Talone, who I met via the Fairhaven PTA, thanks to Jamie and her incredible partners in crime in our, in our school district. Um, and I've been fixating on wanting to tell Susan's story since the moment I heard her speak. And finally, and especially now the last 20 minutes, finally, we're <laughs> going to let her speak on this episode uh, in our inaugural 2021 episode of What's the Matter? So welcome, Susan. And um, I'm happy to see you in person. Your hair looks beautiful. <laughs> you did it. I actually and, brushed and blew my hair. Um, and, and the beginning of our la of our conversation in the last, um, you know, Zoom that happened, we had some technical difficulties. What else is news? Um, we talked about, just to recap quickly, in case for some reason it doesn't work, we will let Susan introduce herself in a second. Um, as Marissa mentioned, this is our inaugural episode in 2021 of What's the Matter?, which is the arm of our podcast where we talk about something that is currently weighing on us as the dream catchers, but also everyone around us. And that today is mental wellness. So we are thrilled to have Susan here who, um, you know, obviously I'll let her introduce herself, but I met through the PTA, as Marissa mentioned, she was a guest speaker at our meeting in November and everything she said was so moving. And she really is regarded in our area as one of the you know, I don't know if you want to call it experts, gurus, go-tos for all things mental wellness and suicide prevention. So being that this is such a special day in Marissa's family and my family, we're so happy to have you here, Susan. Sorry, we're a half hour late. Um, please, please introduce yourself to our audience and then we can really get right to it as to why you're here today. 
Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much, Marissa and Jamie, for having me because I know that I'm supposed to be here today and I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be part of this uh, podcast. Um, as far as who I am and what I've done, um, I am clinical, uh, right now I'm the clinical director for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide, which is in Freehold, uh, a nonprofit that uh, works not only in New Jersey, but across the country uh, to try and really help families, uh, teachers, um, students uh, with their mental health and particularly to protect uh, us against suicide because um, believe it or not, it is the second leading cause of death amongst our youth, and that is just unacceptable. So my career has been really the last 38 years I have been in the field of suicide prevention, working in emergency rooms with the police, uh, working at the University of Medicine and Dentistry, teaching and educating, actually traveling the country. And um, I always tell the story that, you know, just as I had thought I was exhausted from uh, working in psychiatry because it can be very draining. I, I walked into my uh, children's school and they asked me if I was there uh, to be the school nurse. And I said, uh, is there a position open? And they said, yes. And fast forward, I left the University of Medicine and Dentistry, ended up taking the school nurse position at Mattisquan and found myself uh, within three months of taking the position uh, in one of the largest teenage suicide contagions ever recorded in the country. So um, that sort of launched a big piece of my passion again. And uh, since retiring from education, I was there for 10 years. I now continue my work uh, with the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. And I was with the Mental Health Association of Monmouth County as the vice president for uh, three years there as well. So I just want to, I, I am privileged to know a little bit about this backstory, but um, one of the things that I think is amazing about Susan is we as the dream catchers and um, longtime recruiters and headhunters, Jamie and I, um, her career is fascinating. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she actually started her career, which I won't take this away from her because we will ask these questions, but I, I she had a, a tremendous pivot. Um, but what I'd like to call attention to is especially right now when times are so dark, we have to remember that we are on a written story. So we've, we're part of a story that we're not, we haven't read the chapters yet. And Susan is a pinnacle example of how here is a woman that lives in the Manasquan area mm -hmm. and had built her career after an incredible pivot, focusing on mental wellness and suicide prevention. And then just because she wanted to be closer to home to her children, which by the way, let's do the timeline on the math on this. She was ahead of her time in a professional career and balancing children in, a, in decades that were not nearly as kind as the one we are now going to come into, let's be fair, um, silver lining of the crap we just lived through, right? Um, she was doing it all and ended up at a juxtaposition, walking in as a school nurse with all of this experience only to be the person there when Manasquan, New Jersey had a historical episode of multiple 
15 suicides, which is tremendously painful to even, I remember it as a, a New Jersey, I'm not from Monmouth County, everyone knows here that I'm from Bergen County, but of course, any one of us knew that story. And that is not by coincidence. That is what I call a true, true spiritual synchronization of her career. And one of the things that I have talked about with Jamie through Choice Fashion and Media and through the Dreamcatchers is we can do everything we want when we're job searching. You can check every box. You can email back every person. You can ham and haw about every little thing. But what is meant for you next is coming. Whether you know it, whether the time is matched to what you want or not, it's on its way. And Susan was fortunate enough to be using her highest calling when she least expected it. So anyway. Sorry. I love that. And, I needed, you know, to, and I, I needed to say that because I think there can't be a human being listening right now in any part of their career that is not saying, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what, Susan, I'd love for you when we talk on the dream catchers, Amy and I have a favorite first question. Um, what did you want to be when you grow up? When you were a little girl before your whole spiritual team and everybody decided that you were going to have this incredible journey. What did you, little Susan, want to be when you were a <laughs> That's so great. And I, I love this. I love the part about not writing the book because I always say, since all these, don't write the script. Don't write the script because you don't know what the next chapter is going to be. Um, mm -hmm. No, I wanted to be an airline stewardess when I was a little girl. <laughs> I love that. And the only thing that I did not want to be, there was only one thing I knew I did not want to be, and that was a nurse. And I am a nurse. Um, and the reason I didn't want to be a nurse was because my mother was a nurse. And mm -hmm. of course, every teenager wants to be different than their mother. Uh, but that was not part of my script. So I did, you know, I, I had to let it unfold. And, um, and, that, and it's a long story how I ended up a nurse. But I did, um, you know, I did end up going to uh, technical school. I got my licensed practical nurse, LPN, uh, because my father only had enough money to send two of the four children to college. And I, because I was born in the 50s, was going to be a supplemental income to the man I was going to marry. That's what my Italian father told me. And mm -hmm. I only needed to get a, a, a a job, not necessarily a career. So I became a licensed practical nurse. And uh, that I'm sure he's I'm sure he edited that storyline eventually. Well, it's very interesting, because on his deathbed, uh, when I asked him if he had any regrets, he said only one. And that's that I didn't encourage you to take your path as strongly as I encourage your brothers, because if I had, I am sure you would have been a physician. So um, beautifully said, but as we also know, the, the, the nursing path that you took may have been just as magical. And if he hadn't been the way he had, <laughs> you might just be a, you know, plastic exactly. surgeon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying it's so interesting about this question. You know, it's my favorite question for a lot of reasons, but I think if we were to actually go back and dear Maris, our marketing coordinator, one day I'll make you do this project. 
to see everybody's answer, it was either, I feel like 50% of the people are like wanting to be exactly like their parent and 50% are like, my parent did that and I don't want to do that. So here we are, as Susan, we, we alluded to to you, but we our audience knows, Marissa and I both work for our dad and neither of us would have ever said that that's what we were going to do if you talk to us at, you know, baby Marissa and Jamie. I was going to be a professional dancer and Marissa Hero was going to be like a video journalist or like not a recruiter. Um, so I think it's so interesting the way our paths go and why they do. And as Marissa always says, and I echo her sentiment here, whatever is meant to be will be. And our stories are written and we will figure out what those chapters are as we as we read them. Um, so our next question is usually, you know, we talked a little bit about your aha moments in a moment. I mean, a little bit ago, and I want to talk about that again in a moment, but what was your first real job then? So you, you know, wanted to be an airline stewardess or I guess flight as a, we call it a flight attendant, which by the way is a great show for those of you who have not watched it, the flight attendant. Um, <laughs> so, and book. Um, so you, you didn't go that route. So tell us just quickly an overview of how you went from wanting to do that to becoming a nurse or, you know, what you did in between. Well, um, uh, my father, there was a school down, you know, down the street, Union County Technical School. My father said, you know, I should apply there. And I just did. Uh, I was appeasing him and I got in and I took uh, a course, anatomy and physiology, and I became fascinated. So fascinated that I studied constantly and I got an academic scholarship and I did graduate uh quickly and with honors. And my first job uh, was in terminal oncology, believe it or not, uh, helping people die uh, who had cancer. And um, it was there that I realized it was, it was, you would talk about that crossroads in your career where, you know, I had to pivot really was uh, during that time when my night supervisor came to a bedside, uh, to a door, it was in the middle of the night. And she said, she called me to the door. And of course I thought I was in trouble. And mm -hmm. she said, um, do you notice anything about yourself? And I said, you know, all my procedures are done. I'm just sitting with this person. They're struggling right now, they're scared. And she said, that's what I mean. Where all the other nurses are up at the station, their procedures are done, their medical procedures. Every time I come by here at two in the morning, you're at the bedside talking to someone who's scared. She said, have you ever considered psychiatry? I think you've missed your calling. Mm. And I had never considered psychiatry, as a matter of fact, at, at all. And I, um, I went back to school. I said, I hear you. And I knew what she was talking about. And I ended up going back to school, getting my RN and my bachelor's in mental health and rehabilitation. And now I have my master's in school nursing and, um, and nursing. So that was that pivotal moment where I had no idea my direction was gonna change. And then my life, it became my life's work. And yeah. I have never regretted a moment since. When we were on the phone um, in a couple of our phone calls, you, you mentioned something to me that I thought was so incredible about the, the joie de vivre or the passion that you witnessed the people that were terminally ill. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to take your words from it, but I thought it was so incredible because it was you feeling or or noticing this one piece and then marrying that piece to then what you now do. Um, yeah. Can you can you share? I don't want to. I don't. You said it so much more beautifully than I just did. Can you share how that turned you into focusing your energy on suicide prevention? Okay. So when I was working in terminal oncology, what I noticed is that the survival instinct of the human being was so powerful that these people that were so sick and were hanging on to life uh, and and I had to help them let go. I had to help them let go of life because that survival instinct was so powerful. And that was what I was doing at the, at the bedside. I was helping them come to terms with it and let go. So then when I got into psychiatry and I started learning about people wanting to take their life, I knew that that was against our basic instinct. I knew that that was not what we were designed to do because I had seen the survival instinct live and in person. And so I started to do a lot of work in that saying that this is preventable. This is not who we are designed to be, but we have these moments where we lose that connection to our survival instinct. And that's what suicide is. It's a moment of disconnect to that survival instinct. And that's what I want people to understand. And that's where I moved my work because I want them to understand that if you can just hold on and get support and get help, you can, even though you're losing that connection, you can get back to that connection just in a moment, just like you lose it in a moment. And. And that's the power of suicide prevention is that we need to let people know that those, there is help out there and there is support. And that moment will go past them and they can grab back onto the moment to hold on to life. You got me. <laughs> you know, Marissa, Marissa got emotional at the beginning, but I think it was in our other feed. So I think I win in this feed. Susan, what you just said is so beautiful because if you really, Marissa obviously has been touched by suicide. We all have um, in my family, you know, as Marissa mentioned, today is the anniversary of um, her father-in-law's death, who I never had the chance to meet because I was in college when Marissa met David. And it's crazy to me that, you know, he's my brother. They've been together my whole adult life and I don't know his dad uh, in this life, at least. And, you know, we talk about suicide very openly in our family because of that and suicide prevention and mental wellness. And what a beautiful way to look at it where you were given this gift in your career to truly witness what it means to die and and to hold on to life. And that, you know, it's not often that we all think about mental wellness. And yes, the term gets thrown around that it's truly psychological and it is a, a, a real um, scientific proven, um, you know, concept, which is so interesting when you hear it from a professional like you, it's something that I say all the time, like, you know, it shouldn't, there should be no stigma because it's an illness, no different than any other illness that we would get treated and pay attention to. Um, unfortunately though, in our society, and it's gotten better, of course, with, you know, the help of folks like you, to hear it that way is so interesting because it is so much it's because it's intangible. Yes. It's because it's intangible. The only time it's ever been more relatable or I shouldn't say that the most relatable 
the intangibility has ever been would be, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, would be right now. Right. Because we are all living in a time where we can't see what we are afraid of, right? right? Every single moment for the last almost 11 months has been filled with something we can't see. And that intangibility is basically what Susan's life work and the stigma is about. Because just because you can't see it, it's not a broken arm. You know, just because you don't have something that is a physical um, restraint that is, a, that is apparent to a viewer, doesn't mean it's not there. And, you know, that simple message that you said to me on the phone, it was that one sentence that I said, you know, I am a very spiritual person. I have been connected to suicide. If we talk about the loss of David's father, he doesn't think about the suicide piece. He thinks about how he misses his dad. His dad has gone 20 years and he wishes he wasn't there. And that's one of the things also that goes along with the stigma. It's like once, once you've been able to, live life long enough to heal past the trauma of a sudden loss, you're just someone that misses your father, right? So, you know, but I, I, what I wanted to say is when I was on the phone with you, when you said that to me, I was like, that's the sentence. That's the sentence that other people don't hear. It's one sentence. You were a terminal oncology nurse watching people fight for their life. And helping them to figure out how to make peace that this part of their journey was over. Right. And right. you knew that because you had seen that time and time again, to make the decision to end your own life was an illness. That's right. That's right. And, um, and that's what I think everybody has to recognize is that mental health is, is about brain chemistry. You know, it's to, it, your brain is an organ, just like your heart your lungs. And if there's something wrong with your heart or lungs, you would no more ignore that. But when something is wrong with your brain, somehow we say, buckle up, you'll do better. And we, you know, don't worry about it. You can get back on track. What I'm trying to say to people is do worry about it. If something is wrong with your brain, if something is not working for you and your emotions are not feeling good, tend to that. Like, no, if you had a bad back, and you knew a chiropractor could fix that in uh, two weeks, you would go. But people put mm -hmm. off reaching for help. They, do you know that the statistic is that people suffer with mental health issues for 10 years before they finally reach out for help because mm -hmm. of stigma? 10 years. Now, you would no longer you know, suffer with breast cancer, heart condition, uh, bad back for 10 years, we would immediately get help. So we must start to think about mental health, like physical health, because it is a disease. And I think, I think that's a good segue. Also, you know, typically here, we would talk about, you know, obviously, this is a what's the matter episode, which is so much timely right now, I want to talk about how, you know, your industry is being affected. And obviously, what you're seeing as a professional in this space, in terms of upticks and such, which, you know, not to go into too many statistics and details, I do wanna talk about that. But I think it's a good segue, what you were just saying about, I think, at least for me as a layman, if you will, who Knockwood considers myself not to have um, mental wellness, quote, 
you know, diagnosed anxiety or depression or anything like that. And I, I try to live life. Those that know me know that I try to live life at a very high vibration that I have what I would consider situational anxiety. Sure. Um, anticipatory anxiety, as you mentioned on the phone with us, where we all kind of just right now feel really icky because we don't know what's next. Um, I think what's really interesting is the things you're saying where you have a symptom of some kind, you know, or you go to the doctor and your blood work is off so that you then go and figure out that you have, God forbid, cancer or you break your arm. Um, I think what would be really helpful to hear from you is, you know, what is a, I don't want to say a warning sign, but what are the things that you would say to somebody that's just, you know, quote unquote, typically struggling right now, just kind of where you feel like the line crosses to say, you know what, I'm going to reach out and figure out if there's something else going on here versus just the, as you mentioned, kind of across the board anticipatory anxiety that we're all suffering from right now. You know, we, ha- we use this acronym, acronym in, uh, at the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. It's called FACTS, Feelings, Actions, Changes, Threats or Talk and Situations. So whenever uh, anybody's f- feeling, and we look at a, a period of time for like 10, uh, 10 days to two weeks, if you're really in a bad place for two weeks, then you have to say to yourself, what's going on? You know, mm. I'm really feeling low. If I'm really having trouble sleeping, if I really am feeling um, despair, anxiety, um, trouble getting up in the morning, trouble focusing, all those kinds of things, those are signs that something is going on. And sometimes we don't even realize what it is or that we are in as much trouble as we are, or it, it creeps up. So I always say to people, you know, ask. You know, have you noticed anything? I'm not feeling myself. Do you see it? Or even more so, when you see someone not themselves, say, you know what? You're not yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Are you okay? Like, I'm noticing you're irritable. You know, you're, you're isolating. You're withdrawing. You're, you, you're not even laughing like you used to. Uh, you're really uh, sleeping a lot. Are you okay? And and sometimes that question can just pull somebody out of it for a few moments to say, you know what? Maybe I'm not okay. You know, it's just mm-hmm. sort of like if someone said to you, "Do you realize you're limping?" I mean, you know that that back injury is really bothering your gait. And you say, "Geez, that's getting bad. I better get that fixed." You know, I better have that looked at. That kind of thing. Or if someone said, you know, you have a lump in your breast, and you're like, you know, I thought I did. You'd go. You know, so to help each other sort of uh, be able to talk about it. And if someone does say, don't brush it off like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Stop and say, I'm glad you shared that with me. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And and to ask those questions. And it's really about conversation. It's about being human. It's about asking and caring. But you know what? It's the most important thing in this whole, it's listening. It's just like we listen to our bodies. We listen to each other. It's listening uh, and validating that it's, I hear you and you have a right to feel that way. And now that you've shared that with me together, we're going to do something about it. So your focus and career obviously has been on teen suicide. Mm. I have two, two things I want to ask about that as a, what, as part of the, what's the matter one, obviously I think in this moment, uh, mental wellness and career. I know your focus is teen. I'm going to say your skill set is very applicable to all levels in every stage of life, especially right now. 
So I think that those facts, there was an article actually, I will put, I will screenshot it and we will put it toward the speed. It was written by probably someone you know, I can't think of her name right now, in Two River Times locally for teens. It was like top 20 things that you should be doing about mental wellness right now because January, isn't January is mental wellness month? May is, May is. Oh, May is. Yeah. January is historically the most popular month to lose your battle with mental wellness. So there you go, January. Um, so I was reading it and it was four teens. And yet I was like, okay, I got 19 out of these 20 right here. So <laughs> unless I'm waking up in senior year of high school, I think I'm about the same as these people. So I really would say as a whole, yeah. all of us right now are feeling as a culture, we're all feeling the same woes. We're just feeling them at different stages of our life. Absolutely. So I wanted to, to make sure that I said to somebody, career and, or to our audience, career and mental wellness are extremely in sync. And, you know, a lot of our audience may say, you know what, I don't want to do what I was doing anymore. I just don't do it anymore. After the last year, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to find someone like Susan to inspire me. Now, now, granted, Susan is a very extreme example of what she used to do and what she does do. But I mean, listen, you can do anything you want, right? Mm -hmm. And now there's going to be, we might have to be in a mask forever, but there'll be a lot more flexibility about you conquering something new or trying something new. Where if you look at someone like Susan who did something new at times that were not flexible, with boundaries that were not wiggly um, in times where other, her peers probably weren't even that accommodating. Um, so there'll be a lot more choice if you're struggling emotionally with your career, which, you know, I feel the same. I think we all feel the same that we want more from what our impact is. We want to, that's why Jamie and I are doing this. Mm -hmm. we, we spend time on these podcasts because it's healing for us to shed a story like Susan's for people out there that are sitting maybe in the fashion industry saying, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and I really do think that that's important. Now, also, I want to come back to the team piece. You would think, and I, this is not, this is just me asking that question as I have a 12 year old. Okay. You would think that with everything that is now accessible, so much more is accessible, right? We talk about, Self-care, the way we talk about a frappuccino, it is regularly stated words. Why do you feel it still doesn't penetrate the stigma? What is the disconnect between the usage of the words and actually respecting the words? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a lot, well, there's a lot of things, um, you know, across the age span and most of my work, in the, you know, in the last few years has been on teenagers, but most of my work has been across the age span. Um, and I think, you know, stigma uh, is really about giving permission. And I think that we put so much on our children to be perfect, you know, and to be a great athlete and to be a great scholar and to be and to be and to be all these things that children feel a lot of pressure from that, um, that we need to really allow our kids to make mistakes, to fail, uh, to uh, 
figure out their own skills in problem solving. Uh, and that oftentimes we try to do too much for them too fast. And they actually start to believe that they don't have the ability to solve their own problems because we've done some helicopter parenting, maybe a little bit too much fixing for our children. And we need to allow them the space to really turn inside and find, I have the strength, not that I rely on my parents or, or my teachers or my coaches, but my strength comes from inside. And in, the only way it comes from inside is to allow for failure and to allow for growth. And so I actually believe that COVID is going to teach our children, those that make it through and all of us that make it through, that we have coping strategies that we never thought were there. And that is the silver lining of COVID is that we all are tapping into strategies we didn't know we had, resilience that we didn't know we had. So we can say to our teenagers at the end of this pandemic, look at what you've done. Look how brave it was for you to go through that and give up sports and graduation and proms and, and learning in classrooms and your friends and even your girlfriend and boyfriend because you couldn't see them. And you did that. You can do so much more and and you are going to do so much more and all of a sudden that intrinsic factor that they believe they cannot we always tell our children how special they are it's coming from the outside but it's got to come from the inside and that's really for adults as well like in this pandemic you know we are all experiencing a subconscious level of anxiety right now across the country and around the world and the conversation has never become more poignant than it is today. And that's what we need to be doing. So thank you for having me today because this is all it is, is a conversation. Once, you know, we started talking about, you know, uh, LGBTQ as, you know, that, that those youth stood up and said, we're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna be brave about this conversation. That's what we're doing now. We're gonna have this conversation about mental health and we're gonna be brave about this conversation. And, and, that, and we're gonna normalize this conversation. And that's what stigma is, is reducing shame and, and reducing this factor that there's something wrong. When in fact, every human being right now in the entire world is experiencing a mental health issue, crisis, anxiety, whatever you want to label it, we're all in this together. Maybe different boats. I love what you're saying. You know, I, I actually feel really proud of myself because I speak very um, close to that when I'm talking to my son, Sam, who, you know, is a little bit more introverted and quiet. And, you know, I worry about him socially sometimes, not real worry, but, you know, just typical mother concern. And we talk often about how, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I'll, I'll say to him, you know, we just had a conversation the other day. I'm like, this sucks for everyone. It sucks for mommy. It sucks for daddy. Everyone's miserable. We're all in this together. And one of the things that we talk about is the silver linings, right? So he'll, as you said, you know, he'll complain about homeschool, but then he'll complain about regular school because at home he is bored and it's long and his, chair hurts and bleh, and then you go to school and you'd be like, but I can't breathe in the mask and I don't have recess and I hate the shield. And so I said to him, like, listen, you know, as I said earlier, it is my role in our family and in my life. And my role has been always to be the light one, to be the sparkly one, to be the one that brings the good energy. It's exhausting some days, but it is my role. And it's who I was put on this planet to be. So I say to my son all the time, 
you know, let's talk about it. Okay. If all those things suck, there's gotta be something today that made you happy, you know, and we used to call it cherry and pit. And now instead of cherry and pit, we talk about the silver lining. Okay. So you go to school today, most things are not amazing. What made you happy today? Let's talk through that. And some days it's like math. I had this fun activity that we did, or some days it's, I rode my bike to school, but at least there's something that is making him and making him realize that not all things right now are difficult. Most might feel difficult, but we still can find something awesome in all the rubble. And so, um, you know, I think that what you're saying is so important for all of us to hear. I need to hear it because there are days where we're just all like, I don't know what else to do. And I think, you know, helping kids focus on um, what they want and, you know, what is going right and not what is going wrong is really helping them find their passion and, you know, thinking about, you know, what you want in your life and, and manifesting that energy towards what you want in life, not what you don't want in your life, because that can sort of take your energy in a different direction, but really focusing on what do you want? Where do you see yourself? And where do you see yourself at the end of this pandemic? And, and you know, you, 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 what you want is to be healthy and back in school. And, and you're working towards that. So keeping your energy up, keep and talking to people about where you're at is going to keep your mental health strong. Um, and I think that's really, really powerful. Like, where do you want to be at the end of this pandemic? And start to focus on that. Um, if it's uh, energy in your sport, then, you know, continue to work out. If it's energy in your art, continue to play your instrument. If it's energy in, with your friends, continue to connect. Where do you want to be at the end of the pandemic? Put your energy there, not focusing on what isn't happening, but what you want to happen at the end. Yeah, of the I love that. I mean, we say that all the time, like put your energy into the things you can control, not the things that you can't. You know, we can't control the state of our day currently. But what we can control is how we react to it. Um, and I love what you're saying about continuing with your art. I think, you know, we're all doing virtual lessons and such that, um, you know, sometimes feels counterproductive. But I love that because I think if the goal is to still be playing his drums at the end, then he needs to practice his drums, even if it's virtually and in my basement. It's not as, not but as fun. Susan, it, the resiliency of our culture, right? And the things yeah. that have come out of this time, speak volume to your one sentence. Yep. We are all, even if we don't agree with one another, even if we're not really in the same playing field right now, we are all fighters. That's right. Literally, every single person is like holding on and trying to climb up as, as much as they can. And it's like each day, if someone tries to step on your fingertips while you're holding, and you're like, screw you, I'm holding on, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, I wonder, how is it in your job where, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to be too dark, but I do think it's really important to really go there about your job for a minute, because mm -hmm. you're on pre prevention. You want to keep everyone hanging to that cliff. Like, you know, I shouldn't use the little word cliff, that's Freudian. Ladder. So. Ladder. Ladder. Stop. Holding on. We're holding on. We're holding on. How do you determine when someone is having trouble holding on in your particular point of view? And or how do you get them to to stay? How do you how do you enter how do you and your team coach others? 
to intervene because one of the things that I think, you know, on my own personal standpoint, granted, I was a young kid at the time, as was David, but like, we wouldn't have known he was doing, I mean, he wasn't happy. Okay. He wasn't happy, but we didn't know that he was going to lose that moment. We didn't know he was going to disconnect. that moment. So how do you, and also I don't want to be an alarmist, right? I want to say something in the same way that we've collected that sentence from earlier, which I'm now um, saying over and over, but I, I feel like it's important. Word choice is important for the layman. How do you say, listen, most of us are struggling. There's a difference when I see them. Right. Like what, you know, not to be dark, but like, what's the difference? Okay. So um, what I want to say is that no one uh, has a biological desire, has a desire to end their biological existence. No one is born with the desire to end their biological existence. What happens in suicidal thinking is that someone has a problem that they have perceived, they have tried so hard to solve and they haven't been able to solve it. And so they perceive that this problem is unsolvable and that there is no way out except to end their life because they've, they've, cho- they've tried to solve this problem. And so what I would say to people is, is to really listen to what people are saying. And if they believe that there's something in their life that is creating so much pain, emotional pain, because it's really, uh, suicide is a desire to get out of emotional pain. It's a, a desire to end emotional pain, not to end their life, but to stop the emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always tell families. If they didn't choose to leave you, they chose to leave the pain. They chose to leave the pain. So whatever is going on in their life with, with children, you know, they need help problem solving. And we can, we can listen and f- try to figure out what is the problem that they believe is so unsolvable and try to partner with them towards getting them to get out of that dark spot. And in suicidal thinking, there's always ambivalence. There's always a part of them uh, that wants to hold on. And that's the hook. What, what about your life is worth living? Let's not talk about why you wanna die. Let's talk about why you wanna live. And that is the hook into uh, helping someone kind of come out of that that state and um, really start to focus, focus on, yeah, come out of that fog and focus on, you know, it, at this point, um, it may be, it may be simple as a dog, their pet for, you know, that, you know, who's going to take care and you do a little reality testing, you know, if, if you were to leave this earth, who's going to take care of that pet and does that pet need you? And oftentimes an adolescent will say, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm the only one that really the dog likes. I mean, or not, you know, and they mm-hmm. need me. So you're hooking into reasons for living. Uh, you're hooking into helping that child solve a problem that seems unsolvable to them and, and partnering and listening and validating and not diminishing what they're going through. Because a lot of times what seems insurmountable to them, like getting in trouble at school or breakups, things that were like, oh, you know, that's nothing. But to them and to all of the world right now, you know, it's, and even for adults, I'm speaking, you know, financial issues, you know, you can get through this, but right now they may not feel like they can. Um, grief, loss, it's very difficult to feel like you're going to get through it, but to say, 
you're in this, but I'm in this with you and we're going to do it together. So that, that connection. I would, I would think that a lot of adults, um, I wouldn't, I don't want to generalize and say adults, but I would think a lot of parents may miss when you're talking about a teen. I mean, when you are parenting between teen, there is so much emotion all of the time. Right. And we have to figure out when you are, we are tasked with not helicoptering, but then knowing when something's real and then figuring out when their balance is, you know, not steady or intervening or not intervening. Right. So I do believe that I feel for um, parents that are in this situation because I see how difficult it's going to be already. Um, And, you know, maybe you just can't listen to it or whatever it was, like it was just on repeat or on repeat or you didn't notice that there were other signs going toward it. But I think the hardest part about a teen is the sentence that we all know as being wiser and older is like this too shall pass, mm-hmm. but they haven't gotten that far yet and don't realize that by leaving this earth, they're actually leaving the earth. Exactly. Like they're not like, they're not coming back. That exactly. Um, and, that, and I think that is the part that is the hardest part or the most special part of your position, because when you are young, what's the, what's the expression? The youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. They don't get it. Now, I mean, granted, right now they might get it more than they ever would have gotten as a generation before because they've been asked or tasked to deal with real life crap before mm-hmm. they were supposed to, so to right. speak. Right, right. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. But I, I you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's really difficult. And, and, and I, I give so much love and light to anybody that is in at space because we just don't know when is too much or when is too little most of the time. And the, and the, the adolescent brain is not developed uh, until about age 22, 24. So you're not even dealing with the same brain as an, as an adult. And we know the adults are struggling right now. The impulsivity, uh, you know, the, the chemical, the brain chemistry for adolescents is different. And they, the impulsivity is very high during uh, adolescence and the ability to problem solve is very low and, and the way that they regulate their emotions, they're really struggling. And think about all the hormonal changes that are going on during adolescence, and you know how difficult that can be. So they're really in a vulnerable spot, and they do not have the life experience that we have that tells them, I can get through this. We now reflect back on some tough, if I was to ask you about your toughest moments in your life, you, you would look back and say, you know, how did I get through that? Well, I got through that to support and this person and that person. They don't have that life experience to know that they can make it through some really tough times. And that's you know, I, COVID will No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think that that's so important in this moment. And I think that's a really good segue to our one of our final questions, which is just about your industry and how it's changed. And being that that's our typical question, and this it feels such a, like a loaded question, talking to someone like you, in how you've seen COVID affect your quote, industry, which is not the right term for what you do, but your field of work. Um, Obviously, we don't need to go into statistics and numbers, but I do want to hear from you just a little bit about how you've seen that the work that you're doing is maybe even hopefully, you know, glass half full, more well received. I think one of the things that I would think or I would hope 
is that because we're spending so much time together as families, we might be able to see warning signs that we wouldn't have seen. We might ask more questions than we would have asked. No different than, I hate to put this in an analogy like this, but you know, we spend so much time in our house where, you know what, that closet doesn't close properly. I'm going to figure out how to you know, fix it now because I have the time and I've noticed that it's, you know, off the hinges. So, <laughs> you know, we're all staring at our problems now in the face. So I'd love to hear from you as an expert in this area, how have you found that COVID has affected both in a positive and maybe not so positive way your field currently? When COVID first started, you know, we, you know, we were very, very worried about, you know, what was going to happen with the mental health of the world and the nation. And, and in the beginning, we saw actually people did pretty well. Um, kids were sleeping more because they didn't have to get up in the morning and kids seemed to be really coping pretty well. But as the pandemic has gone on, um, we are starting to really see people hit exhaustion at this point. And mm -hmm. uh, the numbers were holding very steady for a very long time. In the last two, three months, the numbers have begun to increase in terms of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety, a lot of despair. And we have begun to lose people in higher numbers in the last three months. The On the on the silver lining part, though, that I think is really the part I want to hold on to, you know, you, you want to manifest what you want. My whole career, I kept saying for 38 years, we have to have a conversation. This has to be a conversation that's normal within the home. And that's what's happening now. And I'm so glad I'm alive to see it because inside those homes, people are asking, how are you doing? Inside mm -hmm. those homes, they're noticing warning signs. You're exactly right. And for the first time, parents are seeing what teachers have seen all along because they're spending so much time with their kids. And so schools and parents are actually aligning, saying, you know what? I've been worried about your child. I'm worried too. What can mm -hmm. we do together to propel stronger mental health for this child? So I'm actually you know, optimistic that what comes out of this pandemic is this conversation. We're going to change uh, how people view mental health. And if we do that, we have come, it, 38 years I've been waiting to have this conversation. And now if I say to somebody, how are you doing? They tell me, <laughs> they tell me, I'm not doing so well. I am gonna, I'm gonna help you. So we are helping you with this conversation and, and mm -hmm. I will continue to do so. And it's, the, the truth is, so Jamie and I, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. And everybody's different, right? So one of the things, first of all, on a professional level, any endeavor that we have done, we have tried to contribute proceeds to um, mental health awareness. So you will see that anything that Marissa Klein K touches usually ties back to mental health, uh, mental wellness and mental health. Or breast cancer. Also, two things we're very passionate about. Yes, or about. breast cancer too, because that that we're very big involved in as well. And we also do we also dabble in diabetes. We're well we're well rounded. We're all over the but place. We love. To, I would say my main focus has always been mental wellness, and I hope and pray that we collaborate. And I know we will because I just know it we on will. many things. I don't know what it'll look like, but this conversation will continue and needs to continue. And you know what? I'll be vulnerable for a moment and share as I'm always vulnerable. Um, you know, I'm a very sensitive person, very sensitive. 
So I have feelings all day long. It's exhausting to be me. That doesn't mean, though, that I'm mentally unwell. It just means I need different breaks and timeouts and bubble exercises Mm -hmm. and sunshine and cocktails and things that I need in order to feel better. Now, Jamie has admittedly said to me, and I have no shame in this, that she worries about me. And I appreciate her worry where I will say this to her and to everybody else. My function is different than your function. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's any more wrong. No different than since COVID, I'm acutely aware that I need to take my Zyrtec and my Prilosec so I don't have a dry cough for 10 months, okay? (laughs) So I know that I am very specific about what my needs are. And if I don't articulate those needs, I unfortunately come up short to those that love me. Now, we are not in a playing field right now where we are allowed, we are not being serving the grace to take care of our needs the way we want to most of the time. So a lot of the times we're coming up a little bit raw, shall I say? And that I'm speaking about myself, right? So I know my struggle is real, but I also know I'm good. I just could use a lot more breaks. And I'm sure that that is, when you have a conversation like we're having with you and noticing the severe differences, right? subtle, but severe mm-hmm. between being in the struggle, needing talking points, needing communication, needing moments like this, having conversations like this is healing for me, right? right? And for many of us. And then those that can't do that. That's right. That's it's right. those that can't do that. That's it's right. when you're not laughing, when you can't find the humor, when that meme doesn't tickle your fancy, mm-hmm. when Bridgerton doesn't turn you on, mm-hmm. <laughs> when those things are lost, it's time. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and to be able and to, to know that it's okay, you know, therapy or talking to someone counseling is a luxury. Uh, you know, it's a luxury that we all should wish we could all afford. And but there are free services across this county. No one should ever say I can't afford counseling. There are free services and resources across this county. And it's really about like you like you were saying, Rose, it's about knowing who you are, putting in your coping strategies, music, taking a walk, taking a bubble bath, breathing, whatever you need to do do more of it, uh, you know, do more of it. And, and don't let anybody take it away from you. You know, um, I, you know, I, I'm very, very busy. And my work knows that, you know, I take a walk every day, and I'll take a call on my walk, but I'm not going to give up my walk, I need to walk, I need to breathe, I need to do yoga, take a bath at the end of the day, whatever feeds your soul, feed it more. Uh, during stressful times. Whatever you're doing looks pretty good. So yeah, I'll take <laughs> just, it. I'm just By saying. Way, I, I, I've heard a couple throughout this conversation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna you know put you on the spot for a second. You know, somebody of your stature and just your experience, I'm sure, especially having studied so much in psychological areas and just doing the work that you do. I'm guessing that you obviously have to stay inspired in order to give, give, give to others. Um, Marissa and I are big believers in that, like you just said, yoga, self-care, you know, not to be cliche, 
to fill your own cup so that you can pour for others because that is your day. Your whole day after this is going to be pouring cups for others. I mean, that's what Marissa and I do in a different language, if you will. Um, how do you fill your cup? What inspires you? Do you have a mantra that you live by? Um, you know, how do you, you know, anything that you can share that you think might be inspirational to our listeners? You know, I always, I define um, inspiration as focusing on what you want. And I define inspiration as focusing on your passion. And I define inspiration as something that moves your spirit. And so that's what I do. I focus on what I want in my work. And like, if there's people around me that are not maybe being pleasant or things are, I focus on how I want to see them or how I choose to view them. Um, and that inspires me to do better. Um, I, I always focus on doing better the next day than I did today. And I take care of myself. Like I do, I, I need to do a lot of self-care because that's the work I'm in, but that's the work we're all in. It's the work of being human. I, you know, I give myself a break that I don't have to be everything to everybody all the time. And, and, and I think that's really, really important. So inspiration is really um, a multifaceted thing. And it's, but if I was to say it in one word to a young person in a career, it's like, you know, do what you want, find there's something in your job that we all have jobs that we, we might love pieces of them and not all of them. What piece do you love and, and add more of that in? And if, if, it, if you can't get it in that career, hold your head up high and look around and see maybe there's something else you can add in to give you that feeling of doing more of what you want uh, than what you think you should do. And I think that's inspiration. I do, I, my work is what I've chosen and, in, and I know that I reach people and heal people in ways that, that I'm, I'm happy to do because um, that's why I'm here. I think I think that's part of my 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 work, and I, I focus on what works in my in my life and and my joy of my work. People ask me all the time, "How can you work in suicide all day long?" But I don't work in suicide all day long. What I work in is inspiring others to problem solve and to do better. That's really my work. Mm -hmm. Anyone? Well, you're inspiring me to do better. They're like, I think you can't talk after Susan's talking. I'm like, <laughs> I just like pause. Like speaking of a pause, I'm just like, I don't even have anything so, I can say. So here, here's the problem. What Susan doesn't realize is that I, Susan, there is a book. You're laying series. in her lap. You're laying in her lap. <laughs> there is a book series. I haven't made a reference to this in a long time. There was a book series. It was a tween series that I read a little late in the game, probably on a maternity leave when I was dealing with at transition and slash mental anguish called Twilight. Did you hear it? You, you must have been busy saving lives during that time. <laughs> I think I know it actually. Okay. Well, in this in this book series, Twilight, which is about, you know, vampires, um, there's an expression where, where one person just becomes extremely taken with another person. It's where they, they've imprinted on the person is, is the verb. So for the record, Marissa Klein has imprinted on Hello, <laughs> Like you, I am forever, like you're gonna be like, oh, there's Marissa again. Oh, <laughs> I'm shopping for a mentor on the top of my list. It says Susan on it. So um, unfortunately you will be hearing a lot. You're from stuck with us, Susan. You're stuck with us. Or for, uh, 
And you know what? For those I that are familiar with the, with the Twilight series, the imprinting is a, the def, the true definition is a little weirder than that. But I, I hear you, Marissa. Okay. Um, Actually, it, it was not an appropriate analogy, but I'm not good at, at making appropriate analogies, especially after I've been emotional and or cried 25 times. Cry, um, cried for the <laughs> last hour. Um, yes. So I asked this question already, but I'm going to say it again in a different way. Do you feel, because I could probably say it for you, but I'm going to let you answer this. Do you feel that you have a superpower that you have been put on this planet to do um, that you don't think anyone, not that anyone else can't do, but that you bring to, you know, I always, we say it in different ways. Like, who are you and your group of friends? Um, what do you feel is your superpower? I could probably list five that I think are your superpowers. Um, do you have one or do you, do you ever think about that? And if not, I'm going to ask you now to think about it. I don't consider it a, I don't consider it a superpower, uh, but I do consider it a calling. I have a calling mm -hmm. that comes from, to be honest with you, that's something I don't talk about in my field very often. But I have a calling from a higher power to do Without my work, question to do mm -hmm. my work, and um, that's it. I, I will. I will validate that way. for you. We feel the same way. I will validate that for you. I um in, I believe that that if we are fortunate enough to do our life's work and have that life's work match what our higher powers wants were, we're doing a lot of right things. I mean, many would say that you're an, uh, an angel, Jewish girl speaking, an angel walking <laughs> on this planet, guiding people toward their light. So um, I would concur that you are doing life's, true work or a work of the highest power. And you are on what I would call 100%, a hundred percent, a journey that was written for you, for you to be on all of these other people's paths. Um, and one day, a very long time from today, I'm sure you will have a huge party with all of these people <laughs> and it will be warm and it will be sunny and there will be lots of, Cocktails and fun and no worries. And, um, you know, every, every single person you've saved will, will, will call for you. I, I'm, I'm certain for it. And, you know, I just so, want to, I just want to say that, you know, that in, a, in my field, you know, we count the people we lose, but we never count. We never realize the people we save and every human being, not just in my work, but every human being every single day saves somebody and they don't know it. They save it with a smile. They save it with a kind word. They save it with a phone call, a letter, a reaching out. You don't realize, and I know it's not just people in my field. It's all of us save each other every day. We don't realize it. So, you know, we can count how many we've lost, but we'll never know how many we saved. And we save people through kindness and reaching out and, and being authentic and, that's really the work of, of suicide prevention. I don't think we can follow that. No. Wow, Susan, I could talk to you forever, but I think, you know, we could talk about a million other things, but I think what you've gifted us with us today, for us today has been a conversation I think a lot of our listeners needed to hear. I think it's nice to hear some of the stigma normalized. It's nice that we were able to do this on a date that is so important to Marissa and her family. 
um, to shed light as Marissa and I always try to do. And that's really why we started our podcast and why we started our networking community is to shed light on darkness. And you, that's what you do. And, and, and I, 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 I give you so many kudos. Listen, and to all those listening, we can't do good unless we've gone through, right? Yeah. So in the, that strat, that, that, that symbol are of, in struggle, we rise. We don't have wisdom if we don't have things that we've lived through in order to be wise about. So, you know, mental health is important to me because it touched me. Right. What's touched you and how can you make an imprint, an impact, give back to society, make our world brighter, heal others by using your pain for good? And, you know, Marissa, I can say that when I entered Madison High School after exhaustion from my, you know, psychiatry field for years and years, and that contagion hit, I knew that my work wasn't done. And, and I knew that I had to use that struggle and that incredibly dark period in our community's time to do better going forward so that no community, no school uh, would have to experience what we experienced. And that's part of knowing, you know, that being placed in that school was not uh, a coincidence. And no. no, that, you know, I know that. And that's when I really realized that I might have been a calling, you know. Well, uh, tremendous kudos for recognizing your calling. And for those of us um, that work every day to figure out what our callings are, they are there, they are there. They may not be as profoundly loud as Susan's was, which was extremely lucid and clear. But sometimes we are called to our best, use our best skill set in ways we don't necessarily pay attention to. So, you know, if you happen to be in a regular old job, whatever the definition of that is, and you're the one that makes everyone laugh, perhaps that's your calling. Mm-hmm. right? To be the light in everybody's day to day. So I, I don't, I want to be careful when we, we, when we hang that word calling up because everybody has a different one and it can be just as important as Susan's. It may not be defined that way on a resume bullet point, but it is just as important. And if you are your most authentic self in everything that you do, you are bringing those gifts to others 99.9% of the time. And listen, speaking from truth, it is really hard to do that right now, which is why we can't stop trying. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody, every person is important and no person is more important than the next. And that's the message that I want to leave people with. Every single person has value. Every single person is gifted Every single person touches somebody in ways that are profound and no one is more important than the next. And you're all out there who's listening need to understand that about yourselves. There is power in the human spirit. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm so sorry about our technical difficulties at the beginning. Thank you to everyone to list that listened. Um, you know, Susan, you know, if you want to do just a quick plug for your company or your um, you know, websites, um, resources that you offer, we can actually tag that here. But if you want to just mention what your website is, I'm going to put it up here now. Uh, um, 
SPTSUSA.org. 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 Got it. Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. Um, and we are a small nonprofit. We are located in Freehold, New Jersey. We are small, but we are mighty. And we focus on education and training uh, in schools uh, for parents, students, and um, you know, we're here for anybody that needs us at any point in time. So I just want to thank you too uh, for having me today and giving me uh, a platform to speak and just really getting to know you guys are awesome. And I really enjoyed today. So thank you so much. Well, I thank think it's pretty so evident much. that the feeling is mutual. I think I, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've been uh, inhibited in my feelings. Um, <laughs> so in honor of Bruce Kay, thank you for being here. Thank you. And by the way, Bruce, I will say, had a very important job too. So speaking about career, you know, I think finding a passion for what you're good at and what you want to do, you know, for a living is so hard. So thank you to Susan for showing us that. Oh, somebody, I just want to make sure nobody had a, con, uh, a comment. Um, you know, I think what you do and is so much about who you are. And that's what Marissa and I try to, to talk about is, who you are is what you do. And that's, you know, as your career, it's so important. So, um, you know, what, what you're doing and the work that you're doing is so inspirational to our audience, to us. And granted we're a career podcast, but today was much more. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Hopefully if anybody out there needs your resources, has questions, they will be in touch with you. We will tag you. I think your team actually just tagged yourselves as well. And thank you to, Bruce and his inspiration today. And thank you to you, Susan. Thank you so much. And anytime you want to talk, give me a call. I'd we will. To. I'll call we'll you later. <laughs> yeah, you'll be hearing from us. Thank you, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.